Welcome to the Scale Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today, it's a very special day, and we have a special guest with us as well. And his name is Phil Clifton, the Divisional Managing Director at IMI Hydronic Engineering. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. And Phil is joining me today because we also have a special announcement to do. So we are starting a, a special season, uh, not only to cover the best of the best on the scale-up world, on the corporate world, on the investor world, to help our businesses to scale in a general perspective as the original Scale of Value podcast with 150 plus episodes so far with the likes of Quadrix, Customer, Buyer, uh, BASF, uh, uh, among other uh, amazing skeletons and corporate leaders, uh, not to talk about some of the investors that we had um, on the show. So we wanted to do a special season to cover the future of the engineering, uh, construction, HVAC and energy industries. So we want to bring the best leaders from those industries in a special season in partnership with IMI, Hydronic Engineering. And our first guest uh, in, in this season is, is Phil Clifton, as I, as I said before. Phil, again, we are very grateful to join this vision and to have this common vision with, with you and your team. And it would be amazing to get to know a little bit more about yourself and your background. Okay, thank you. Well, I'm an engineer originally, mechanical engineer. I've always worked in engineering groups some large groups, and also a few years ago, I set off on my own and set up a small group of oil and gas businesses, again in flow control, uh, but funded by private equity. So uh, I, I know many of the things you're going through as scale-ups, and uh, uh, I can appreciate that having done similar things myself. I joined IMI about two and a half years ago, really proud to be leading the hydronic engineering division. I love it here, great people and some fantastic opportunities. That's, that's amazing and uh, let's get you to know a little bit more about uh, IMI Hydronic Engineering as well. So let us know more about the business, the stage of growth, some of the challenges that uh, you are facing, etc, etc. So Hydronics is all about water-based cooling and heating systems. So it could be radiator systems, it could be underfloor systems, radiant, and so on. And where we're good is actually providing the valves and the control systems in those uh, heating or cooling systems. Uh, and our, our heritage is very much from the valve side. So we were pioneers in balancing those systems. We're pioneers mm -hmm. in thermostatic control, and we're pioneers in pressurization and water quality. So we can do a lot to save energy in those systems. And that's what gives me a buzz every day. Absolutely. Uh, I know it's, it proves that you are joining for the first uh, podcast of, of, of the first episode of this season, uh, that you are personally uh, looking forward to uh, create the future of the industry. And you know that uh, 
to create the future of the industry, we need an ecosystem, we need a community, and we need different players to work together on that vision. So what's your view on, 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 that, on that future and on the chance to get to that, to that future? So we can see from a fairly stable business that we're entering a period of massive disruption. And this disruption's coming from digital, from more intelligent systems, more intelligent local valves, and the big drive, of course, in the world to save energy. And 40% of the world's energy is used in buildings. About 25% of the world's energy is used in heating and cooling buildings. And from what we do, we can save a big chunk of that. Typically, if we can get involved in the design of the system, if we can also make sure it's properly maintained, we can save about 25% of the energy involved in heating and cooling buildings. And that's you know, an amazing thing. It gives me a buzz every day to think that we're really doing good in that way. I think it's, it's a great point, especially when we are discussing uh, climate change and we are seeing uh, all those fires across the world and not to talk about um, our special COVID-19 that I try to avoid as much as possible nowadays to focus on what we can um, control. And, and you know that we always discuss on the show free critical ingredients to scale. We have compressed these ingredients on our work, working with, with scale-ups and, and also uh, given the feedback and stories that we have been covering on the last 150 plus episodes and we invite our guests to challenge those uh, ingredients as well so we keep improving them. Number one is the radical focus, number two is world-class leadership slash team and number three culture of uh, execution starting with number one uh, radical focus so it's it's very easy as we know it's thinking from a scaling perspective and from a corporate perspective to distract uh, ourselves and we like to say that even on, on in the startup stage or even a little bit later on the early scale up uh, stage if we are not disciplined about what are our core customers, what is our product, what are the regions, what are the geographies that we are uh, the best fit for, uh, we can slow down growth or even uh, kill the company on, on that growth. So for on a corporate perspective, it is also important to double down on the strengths, uh, as we say with scale-ups as well. So it's much more about doubling down what is working and not about starting to invest too much. In the corporate perspective, you can uh, invest a little bit more on some hypothesis to, again, to disrupt, create the future instead of being disrupted. And this can be a little bit more difficult in a certain sense. But my question, I guess, and that's a very complicated one, I'm sorry for the articulation of, of this question, but even for myself, I keep trying to understand how to help leaders to do it uh, better, is what is the perfect trade-off uh, of focus and uh, creating the future, right? So for me, um, the focus, and um, we, we don't always get this right, and I would say in the past we've often got this wrong, but for me, the radical focus has got to be on finding good customer problems to solve. 
we can, as a corporate, get very distracted. So someone will come up with a good idea and we'll rush off and develop a new product, but perhaps it doesn't really solve that customer problem. Um, so we have to be really, really focused in on the customer, what's keeping them awake at night and how we can solve that for them. So that's what the focus has got to be for me uh, and how we really focus a whole division on solving those customer problems. And uh, I, I like to see so for, for, for the audience to have, uh, to have some context, um, uh, I is, is around uh, 2 billion uh, in, in revenue at this stage. So I would like to charge scale-ups that are going from, I'd say, 1 to 5 million ARR or 5 to 10 or 10 to 50 or 50 to 100. So how they get to the next stage. And I also would like to discuss with, uh, with, with leaders of big ships how they get to the 5 million or to the 10 billion um, mark. And, and you have something that uh, I like it a lot, which was the fastest way to get to a, a 500 million business. So I would love you to, sh to share with, with the community as well. <laughs> the, the fastest way to get to a 500 million business is to start with a 1 trillion business um, because you can make so many mistakes and very big businesses can be easily disrupted. So that, that's, that was the, the, the serious joke that I made to you when we were <laughs> I love it. It's very, very easy to do. And so that's why we have to be really careful. I mean, I've got him just in my division and we're the smallest division in IMI. We've got 2,000 people and there's a lot of uh, distractions. There's lots of things that are going on all the time. And we have to be careful that we you know, um, don't get distracted from those customer problems and we don't get distracted from growth. And growth is what we're about, profitable growth. And that's what we've got to do. And, and that, that is a very, and maybe jumping to the second ingredient, the world-class leadership slash um, team. This is a, an incredible balance and, uh, and doubling down on radical focus is repeating again and again our mission, our why, our vision, uh, our values. And at the same time, staying loyal to those big statements that are really amazing foundations of the business. And I think as, as the business grows and for all scale-up leaders out there, this is important for you because this is kind of your DNA. Uh, this is something that you need to repeat. And usually you figure out this at 100 plus people on the organization when you need to have everyone on the same page part of the same DNA. If you are not doing it from the beginning, it might get um, difficult. Uh, on, on the corporate perspective, of course, you also need to repeat this again and again and again, because it's a very large organization with a lot of people. It's easy to forget and it's important to remind them even more. But at the same time, it's necessary to challenge them about what is the next milestone in, 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 in relation to achieve uh, our vision and why am I talking about all, all about this? Because this is all about world-class leadership and world-class teams. Because it's impossible to communicate and to remind all organization uh, 
And this is not a job of one person. This is not even a job of just the leadership team. It's, it's a job of all leaders across the organization uh, to keep reminding this uh, again and again. We'd like to uh, comment on, on this. I, th I think in the phases of growth, as companies grow, you know, say from a, a one, one person company, um, hopefully you don't have too many arguments then. If you do, you need some help. Um, as you grow from a team of that, you know, to a team of 10, to a team of 100, to a team of 300, to a team of 3,000, that, that really does change how you organize and how you operate um, the business. And if you want to move really fast and you have a particular project to execute, quite often a command and control type culture can be very good at that. And you have one person just directing operations and tells everybody what to do. Unfortunately, that doesn't encourage innovation. So what I've been trying to do here in IMI Hydronic is very much to create um, more empowerment in the business, uh, but with associated accountability, but more freedom for people to innovate and to really create an environment where people feel free to dream ideas that perhaps they couldn't in the past, and people feel free and able to fail fast. So to put a bit more risk in that, to know that on some things we will fail, we won't succeed all the time. And so for me, that's the balance you've got to get. If you're gonna have innovation, you've got to have lots of test and learn, you've got to have the ability to fail fast and then pivot or kill particular projects. And big corporates are not very good at doing that in my experience. And that's what we're working very hard on being able to do to create that culture. Absolutely. And uh, we just discussed a, a, a very important word, which is collaboration, right? So it's internal collaboration, uh, how to make or how to stimulate, how to incentivize that 2,000 people collaborate with each other. And some of them might not even know uh, each other in the organization of uh, this scale. And even more difficult to uh, collaborate with the community, the ecosystem out there that is going into the same direction or into different directions that can be uh, beneficial because I know that something important for you is also uh, diversity of, uh, of thought. We will have the opportunity to discuss this in the, in the third uh, ingredient of, uh, of scaling up. But what was your approach in terms of uh, also building a team to, to work on, on that community, on that, on that uh, collaboration front. One thing that I, I've learned over the years is the more diverse you can make your team, the better the decision-making. And that's got to be combined with challenge. So uh, the ability to be able to challenge within that team. So you can have diversity, but if you don't have the inclusion side of the equation, 
and the ability for everybody's views to be taken into account, heard, and people can challenge each other, then you don't get the benefits. So I love working here in terms of my team because there's nine of us, there's eight different nationalities. Uh, we all have different views of the world. We have three women in the team. We, you know, it's very, very diverse in many different ways. And sometimes it may take us slightly longer to get to a decision, but wow, you know, when we come out and when the decisions are made, they're really good. Quite often I go into meetings and I think I know where this is going to go. I know where this decision is going to come. Uh, and I come out very surprised and I think that's very healthy. We, ha we have a, a term here about challenge and we call it radical candor. And that's really being very honest with other people about what you think about their ideas or their opinions and so on but we have to have radical candor with kindness. So we do it in a way where we preserve the relationships, where we're working together well uh, and, and developing together. Now, I would see that that applies just as much outside. So when we're dealing with startups, partners, and so on, you have to have that trust, but you also have to have that ability to challenge each other and really understand where each other's coming from. Because if you don't have that, you will lose the benefits of the diversity. And that for me, working with, with scale-ups is, is about increasing that diversity in the organization. Absolutely. And I, I love your point about um, getting to a level of leadership and a level of team maturity that you are able to fight each other without killing each other. So mm -hmm. it's having that radical candor with kindness and no one in the room has any questions that what we are trying to do is the best for everyone in the room, not to personally attack uh, each other and put uh, our peers and in the line, right? So it's it's something very very important, and uh, I summarize that about assuring that we have a healthy and an aligned team at all uh, stages. And having an healthy and aligned is is what you just shared. It's it's having that diversity and that freedom and that trust and and that safety to say what you think is the best for the team. And also not assuming because there is someone who is the CEO or the managing director or the leader of the team that he might be the one who has the right answer. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, having the, the kind of disagree and commit to my mentalities, I express my views, but I know we have a leader of the team that uh, is the one who makes the final decision. And uh, I expressed my view, and now I trust that uh, we are moving into this direction. So I disagree, I expressed my view, and I commit to the direction that we are going uh, to. Uh, because I think that sometimes people confuse this component of challenging and expressing different views, uh, and then they block execution because they don't believe that this, we should go into that direction. And that execution uh, doesn't um, happen. 
and maybe we bring the fourth ingredient, this culture uh, of execution that we already introduced uh, here. So it, it's curious to see that a lot of, of scale-ups are very afraid to become corporate, let's say, as it is. In the way that even some of the scale-up leaders have been working in corporates or have been corporate leaders, and they wanted to not have those all those rhythms, all those structures, but they understood at the certain stage of scale of their organization that they need to have those dailies, those weeklies, those monthlies, those quarterlies, those uh, annual rhythms. And uh, so, how do you assure and uh, how do you motivate execution in your uh, organization? So, I think um, for me. Um, the, the culture part is right. I, some of the things you said, I would absolutely agree with. But one thing at the end of the day, certainly, it, if you're banking on me making every decision, that would slow the organization down. So we have to push out that decision making as well, so that people feel within the framework, they know the framework they're operating in. They know the vision of what we're trying to do. The more we can have those decisions made locally with accountability, the better. So that's the only area I would really add to you. We've got to create a mm -hmm. lot of small businesses within this big corporate. Now, clearly, we, we have to have as a corporate, we have to have processes and systems and so on, which is a bit different. And you talked about the fear of a scale-up becoming corporate. Um, there's actually a fear the other way around as well of um, people feeling that uh, they're almost adrift, really, within the organization, sure. the risk attached to that. So it works both ways. But I think the way it comes together in terms of execution is making the decision-making as local as you possibly can to the customer, and it comes back to the customer's problem, and making sure you're solving that locally and to, uh, if you can do that, you can then do that with pace because things happen much quicker if you can make that locally. So, uh, and what I don't want is for me or my team to be slowing down that reaction to the customer. And that's what we have to be very careful of. And I love the, the point that you are making again and again and again, and maybe it's time for me often to, to listen because sometimes we are seeing, we are saying very important messages in the show. And I think that's also the beauty of any podcast or any book that we read is we can listen it or read it again and again. And because we are becoming different human being across all our learning and, and growth curve, we will listen to different things. And what we are here discussing is how to create an ecosystem, a community, to create the future of the, of the industries that we are covering in this season. So engineering, HVAC, construction uh, industry. And what Phil is telling us again and again and again, it doesn't matter what kind of collaboration we are having, we should create that future to help the customer to be successful and to be focused on solving the pain or even creating benefits for, uh, for the customer. And that is what matters. So we need to work together to make it happen. 
not just to say that we are collaborating. <laughs> yeah, it's for me, that's what unites things. That's what unites the ecosystem. It, it, it's that focus on an industry or a customer problem that certainly we couldn't solve on our own and probably actually the scale-up couldn't solve on its own. But the great thing about the scale-ups is that they've normally found a good customer problem and they're really getting on with trying to solve it. And if we can help solve it with them, that, that's great. The, um, partnership for me is all about solving that problem. It's got to be a win-win situation. The last thing we want to do is see a scale-up we're working with fail. Because if they fail, that means they failed to solve the customer problem. And if it's a real big problem there that needs solving for the benefit of mankind, for uh, saving energy in the future, for climate change, we, we need to make sure that that's solved. So, you know, it's got to be a win-win a for the startup and a win for us as well. And perhaps most importantly, a win for the customer or win for the industry problem. Absolutely. And it's also curious to see that um, a scale-up can be very niche-oriented uh, to focus all their efforts in a specific uh, customer segment with a very specific product to the, uh, the needs of and uh, the desires of that specific uh, customer segment. And this would fit, that collaboration would fit very well maybe on the platform uh, that the corporate has been creating. And that doesn't have the capacity to focus so much on that customer segment, but can provide um, a larger scale uh, distribution channels and understanding of different markets that would also be beneficial for um, for a skilled. Yes, absolutely. And I think also quite often um, scale-ups will come with a different, a more diverse view of potential solutions. And they're very good at um, busting assumptions. Being a big business with a lot of heritage and a lot of experience in the industry. We also, as part of that, carry some baggage of some very big assumptions. And those assumptions quite often need busting. And uh, that's throughout the organization, including me. I make assumptions which are probably not still valid as uh, we're moving into new disruption or new technology. That's great. I, I love the, the commitment and, um, and especially the importance of really making uh, this partnership successful to serve the customer and being aware of the different stages of growth that we are in and the different styles of leadership uh, and different ways to see the world. So something that we we don't want to happen and that we are working hard on building this ecosystem is to not distract neither the scale-ups, neither the corporates. So it's to double down on their success and to speed up um, their success. This is important because we know uh, a lot of programs, uh, unfortunately, that has a very good intention uh, 
uh, I'm, I'm sure that all the people behind them uh, had the best intention in the world to help each other, but because they have different languages and different ways of seeing the world and they are not able to create the empathy to be on the other side, it's very difficult to support each other. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a huge waste of time, energy, resources, and this dangerous uh, distraction that we talked about in the beginning uh, of the show. Phil, I know that you are very committed with that. I would like to, to give a final word on, on that perspective as well. I think there needs to be a lot of humility in this. Um, certainly from my point of view, because IMI Hydronic is a big company, it certainly doesn't mean we have all the answers. In fact, it's quite the reverse. And if we're really going to solve some of these big industry problems out there, if we're really going to make a massive difference to energy efficiency and climate change, we need to move fast. And if we're going to move fast, we need that diversity of thought, both internally, but also with people that we're working with. And we need to move at pace with those people to really get to grips with those problems and understand them and then come up with some great solutions. That's amazing. And uh, I, you will have a lot of fun. So this is for our community members and also for you, Phil, that you are not aware yet. We are already preparing the upcoming episode with a scale up. Um, its name is Inaptor, and they are working on an electrolyzer based on hydrogen to really create sustainable houses and sustainable uh, solutions in the HVAC industry. And what I enjoyed a lot on the prep call uh, with, with the founder and, and the chairman of Inaptor uh, was that kind of sense of urgency and passion. So uh, we can't wait. So the world needs this solution and we want to make uh, this solution as cheaper as possible as people don't need to think about the environment, think about their own good because it's a cheaper solution than anyone else. So I don't want people to make a decision in between their financial situation and the environment and want to make it very easy. So it's good for, it, it's cheaper, it, it's, uh, it's, it creates more margin and at the same time, it's the best solution for for the environment, and this is the kind of kind of summarizes all the points that we discussed today: radical focus, uh, world class leadership slash team, and culture of execution. That sense uh, of urgency. So we got to the final segment of the show, and we are uh, wrapping up. So it's our favorite question. So if you would have the opportunity, Phil, to it's your younger self, and you can decide when you were joining IMI or even on your times uh, at, uh, at the PE uh, industry. What advice would you offer to your younger film? I think for me, it's working in an industry you feel very passionate about. And I, I, I suppose I'm towards, further towards the end of my career now. And I have worked in companies like oil and gas in the past. I feel so passionate about the climate now. If I was talking to my younger self, I'd be asking myself to do things differently when I was younger and really driving change then because there was more time. All I can do now 
is for my legacy. I don't want my legacy to be that oil and gas legacy. I want my legacy to be what we're doing now and really moving fast to help create a better world for the future. So we're all about really using our engineering skills, our knowledge, our solution finding um, abilities to, to solve those customer problems. And I'm so passionate about it. I just, want, I just want to be involved. I just want this business to be involved. I want us to be out there working with whoever we can to solve these problems. That's, that's great. And I, I must say that it is not because we are partnering, but uh, I really admire your humility and your approach to uh, working with, with scale-ups and also for being always so open to listen to other views on, on the topic. So Phil, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your experience with, with us. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. It's been a pleasure. Likewise, and to you that are on that side, seeing us or listening to us, we will keep you. I will. We will keep bringing you the best of the best, so you scale your business from one million to one trillion. And this is a very special episode in partnership with I am I am Hydronic Engineering, where we bring the best of the best in the engineering, HVAC, and energy industries. See you soon, and keep scaling.